Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. While you're listening, go to arcpodnet.com members and support our efforts. Let's get to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm the president and founder of the California Rock Art Foundation. And what we do is we identify, evaluate, manage, and conserve rock art both in Alta, California and in Baja, California. We conduct field trips. We have trainings, exercise. We do research. And in every way possible, we try to preserve, protect, and coordinate treasures of Alta and Baja California rock art, of which there are many and diverse. We also work closely with Native Americans and uh, partner with them to recognize and protect sacred sites. So for more info about the fabulous California Rock Art Foundation, you can go to carockart.org. Also, I'm I'm open to give me a call, 805-312-2261. We would uh, welcome sponsorship or underwriting, uh, helping us to defray the costs of our podcasts. And also membership in California Rock Art Foundation. And of course, donations since we are a 501c3 nonprofit scientific and educational corporation. God bless everyone out there in podcast land. You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. Welcome out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel with your Rock Art Podcast, episode 89. We've got Eric Hansen, who's one of the cutting edge practitioners using virtual reality technology to capture cultural heritage, rock art studies, and historic, prehistoric archaeology all over the world. You'll want to hear this one. Hey, boys and girls, this is uh, Dr. Alan Garfinkel, and we're, I believe, on the 89th episode of your Rock Art Podcast. And with us today is our guest scholar, Eric Hansen of Blue Planet, one of the uh, world's outstanding uh, experts, cutting edge on virtual reality and uh, historic preservation, conservation, and interpretation. Eric, are you with us? I am, Alan. Yeah. Great to hear from you. It's great to be back on the uh, Rock Art Podcast. I think you were here about a year ago, uh, maybe longer, wasn't it? Well, you know, I, post-pandemic, everything's measured in dog years. So that might have been seven years In dog ago. years, right. I don't know. Right, yeah. right. So, but it was, it was a long time ago. And there's a lot of water under that bridge that's uh, traveled. So I guess we can try and go full circle and have some sound bites about where you are in your own business platform, I guess, with uh, Blue Planet. Yeah, we can do that. And then there's uh, all kinds of evolving technology that uh, we definitely need to talk about. So some interesting new things. Absolutely. So where are you in your uh, business model in terms of Blue Planet? And what is your uh, 
hyper-focus or greatest ambition at this time in terms of applying VR to the uh, historic realm of cultural heritage. That's right. Well, Blue Planet was a itch I had to scratch. Oh, I started, actually, I started on quite some time ago, but it released, I think, about two years, two and a half years ago on Steam platform, and then about 15 months ago on the Oculus Now Meta platform. And uh, it's been very successful. So I'm enjoying it quite a bit. There's a, another application that came out with a similar intention. So I have a company on the block, but at the same time, they don't seem to be too concerned with cultural heritage. So I think it's working out well that way. And like I say, it's a big world. So happy to see more people trying to capture more locations. But but yeah, my, my concentration, of course, has been, well, it's actually been a very unique curation of locations that mostly appeal to myself. I'm hoping that appeal, they appeal to others. But, you know, when I first ideated this concept, somebody heard, heard it out and they said, oh, so Eric, so this sounds like a perfect application for you personally. And I said, yes, indeed. It, that's, that's kind of what my intent is. But a lot of my interest does lie in cultural heritage and wilderness and the outdoors and places that I find to be relatively magic and, and meaningful you know, from a human experience level. So that's really what I've chosen to do with this. It's not a virtual tourism package per se. I kind of reject that notion because, uh, you know, I, I basically reject Instagram tourism as well and have seen that as a very destructive thing. So I don't, I don't want to just kind of emulate what tourist activity is, but rather give something a quiet experience of trying to make a personal connection to a powerful location. And that's that's what really what I'm attempting to do. Yeah, I, I think it's it's been a great run. I think I really love that, the personal connection to a powerful location. I guess one of the ways you and I have interacted is with that uh, new California Welcome Center in Ridgecrest. And that's a that's an interesting example of, mm-hmm. of using your technology and uh, applying it to a the public outreach arena. Maybe you could say a few words about that one as well. Yeah, well, I can. I think I can thank you for that connection made, Ellen. But that is a new visitor center that is installed in Ridgecrest, California, which is adjacent, of course, to Little Petroglyph Canyon and uh, Death Valley. And the uh, idea on this is that we kind of touch on those two attractions for the area. So we we actually base it on two separate VR pieces. And of course, VR today is largely uh, disseminated through a headset called the Quest, which is uh, uh, at this point about $400 headset manufactured by Facebook, but now Meta. In any case, so it's a, an affordable thing to uh, deploy a few of these into a visitor center context. And they have done that there. We produced two pieces. One is rock art centric and one is Death Valley centric. Okay. And well, actually the, the rock art was taken from, as you may recall, when we first met Ellen on a uh, an early California Rock Art Foundation trip to Little Pet. And I was just able to squeeze in a little bit of photogrammetry into uh, one uh, kind of initial area. And so that is what we've centered it on. And as you know very well, we've integrated uh, Alan into the scene with green screen technology, advanced green screen technology. Yeah, yeah. 
stereoscopy, actually uh, shooting right next to the Santa Monica Airport, which is challenging. But we uh, successfully did that. And Alan virtually stands next to a number of panels and figures uh, in that area and describes what we're looking at. So that was uh, one one of the two. And the other one, of course, uh, describes kind of more, uh, actually from a tourist standpoint, what uh, opportunities exist in Death Valley. So when uh, people come to that facility, they can get some sort of a, a little hit, a, sort of a soundbite, I would call it, on uh, looking at uh, a three-dimensional model of Little Petroglyph Canyon, a little bit of an interpretive piece, and they also get a, uh, a taste of what it's like to visit Death Valley, correct? That's right. And one thing we should probably refresh or reiterate from our last talk on the podcast was the type of virtual reality experience that I'm obsessed with is called Six Degrees of Freedom, or basically it's using a a scan, photogrammetric scan, just simple photogrammetry technique to capture, and then using a gaming engine to put it in the quest so that you have what we call six degrees of freedom. It really means nothing more than than you feel truly present in the scene, more than you would from, say, filmmaking or 360 cameras. This is a method where as you shift your weight on your feet, you get uh, a shift in perspective and your brain processes that is a very strong signal that you're actually standing in this location. And this is a technique that we didn't exactly pioneer, but we're an early adopter of many years ago, probably seven or eight years ago. And I was so fascinated by it. We, we put a Egyptian tomb that my business partner had captured working with National Geographic on a film in uh, Egypt. And we took that into a gaming engine. And it was a, uh, I always say it was like a, uh, which I say a Watson Bell moment for us and that Greg uh, put this on and said, Eric, get over here quick. And I looked at it and I just had chills down my spine on how profound the sense of presence was. So I'm, and to this day, eight years later, this is not, I've worked on this technique just about every single day and I still just find it fascinating. So yeah, so we tried to implement some of that in these applications for the visitor center. Yeah, so, th- so there it was. Now, you're, I guess, being contracted or working on various projects across the globe. I know we saw one of those from the American Southwest on some uh, archaeological inventory, some of the architecture and rock art. But now you're also working in other areas besides that. Yeah, the uh, so I'm an educator at the at USC uh, University of Southern California uh, School of Cinematic Arts, the film program, and I run a curriculum in cinematic virtual reality and some other uh, kind of computer graphic classes. But that's really a you know only a few days out of my week, and then I have I do my own practice, which is embodied in Blue Planet, and some of that work is service work done for others for their projects, and some now is done for my own projects and uh, development like Blue Planet. But pretty much, you know, I'm fairly selective in the work that I take on, and have been really just absolutely blessed with amazing opportunities that just you know, confound me that I can't believe I'm actually working on the type of work I'm doing. So one of these is the Miguel Caves in China. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. working with the Dunhuang Foundation on that. Just finished a big immersive cinema film for the Seattle Symphony, which is a 16K, 10 projector. I think it's a 30 foot diameter cylinder, cylindrical screen. It's kind of an antechamber 
to the symphony in Seattle. And we have uh, a score done by the well-known Chinese composer Tin Dun, uh, which will debut in, in Seattle in November. And uh, so we took all the photogrammetry we've done of the caves there, basically took you on a tour, kind of flying through the caves in this cylindrical space and projection. It's rather amazing. So that's one example of doing outside work, but still fascinating and cultural. But I think what you're referring to is the is the Navajo work done with a group called the Onward Project. If you go to onwardproject.org, you can read about this. And this is, uh, there's a, I'm not really going to go into detail. I'll let you learn that from the site. But it's basically revisiting sites in what's called Segi Canyon, which is on Navajo land and has to be under special permit. It's actually the same canyon that Navajo National Monument looks into. And they do have one backpack trip you can take uh, through the park to Keat Seal, which is a, just a remarkable site. But there's many other sites in the canyon that uh, we've accessed under permit with the Navajo Nation and working with a, a Navajo family who was raised in the canyon. There's actually an archaeologist, I think, at uh, NAU, uh, Jeff Dean, if I'm not mistaken, who's done a lot of research at these sites. But we have captured these in photogrammetry and allow you, the visitors, is actually in Blue Planet, to visit these sites. And these are, you know, again, I never lay claim to be an archaeologist, but I love to work with them. And I, I know this is one of a, uh, you know, a very high level site and uh, was just an absolute joy to, to document. So I think that's the one you were mentioning. Yeah, that's what I was. That sounds like a good place uh, to uh, take a break and continue this discussion. See you in the flip-flop, gang. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Okay, welcome back. This is segment two. This is uh, Dr. Alan Garfinkel with your Rock Art Podcast. And we have a illustrious guest scholar, Eric Hansen of Blue Planet, talking about VR, virtual reality, and the development of various means of capturing heritage values and talking about indigenous culture, rock art, and all other things related to uh, the history and prehistory of our globe. Eric, you're back? I certainly am. Well, great. At the last uh, segment, we're just about to sort of plunge in and maybe talk a little deeper about how this VR experience enhances the notion of understanding or grappling with some of the issues in terms of relating to cultural heritage of an exotic culture or of other places and times and people. How does this uh, work and how does this facilitate a, a person's better appreciation for such aesthetics? 
Yeah, that's a great, uh, great topic. It's one that I actually had in discussion with my class this afternoon. And in virtual reality, let's say not gaming, but let's talk about, you know, filmmaking or documentary type experiences. There's always the issue of how to direct the viewer, direct an audience. And it's an entirely different animal than for flat cinema. So if we think about that, if we look at Blue Planet, what I've been up to, that that is actually letting someone try to forge a personal connection to a location. And I offer some background kind of orientation to this location, whether it's rock art or other. But I would say it, it kind of breaks down into a few aspects. So in other words, I think rock art itself being such a compelling subject, the narrative of rock art will be found both in the interpretation of uh, or interpretation of the presence of the rock art. I'm not, I don't mean to say the interpretation of the meaning. That's a, you know, a little delicate subject, but, but the interpretation of what this site, where the site is placed, what the historical context of it might be, what the tribal affiliation may be, so forth, that can all be disseminated as information through multimedia or audiovisual means, whether it's spoken word, whether it's text on screen, whether it's maps, graphics, et cetera. So, so all of this is sort of a multimedia uh, expression that can all be captured under one umbrella. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, it, it, it can be. What I'm saying is within, so number one, you feel present on location. Number two, you're standing you know, directly in front of the subject. You, you have a sense of personal connection to that place because of the, the six degree of freedom thing that I talked about prior. But now to, you know, you, you also, we have the ability to do interaction and what we call agency in VR so that we can query things, we can interact with things. And of course, rock art being rocks, the interaction may be somewhat limited, but as an example, what I found, and this is another great capture that is, uh, is within Blue Planet is, of course, a great great panels at Santa Teresa Canyon in Baja. Yes. California, yes, which, please. Let's, let's talk, let's talk a bit about that. Yes, please. Let's talk about that because yeah, that, that uh, YouTube link you just sent me, that's a terrific little, oh, film my, with, uh, Brad oh my Shaw word. Yeah. Oh, uh, just fabulous. And I've already got people uh, commenting uh, positively on it. So yeah, it's a terrific piece. But in that case, you know, the rock art is, you know, absolutely world-class and stunning and you don't really need to do more than just put somebody in front of it. But one of the sites that I, uh, one, one section of it, and you know this, it's a very low overhang, and mm -hmm. it has this the incredible density of layering over time of just the, the most, you know, complex rock art I've ever witnessed. Well, trying to discern it was extremely difficult. So uh, because the overhang, I couldn't understand how the composition was was formed for being such a low overhang. I mean, you can barely stand up under it, I think, from what I recall. And it's right adjacent to a steep drop-off. So you don't really have much room to move around or get a different view of it. And I got down on the ground and kind of leaned back, looked at it from the ground surface, kind of laying on my back, just to try to take it in better. But it occurred to me while I was shooting it for VR that one thing I could do in VR, you can do all these things that you could never do in the real world because it is a 3D asset that you can manipulate, is I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get back home and I'm going to make a cut in this kind of crevice. And again, we don't, you know, I can't show you an image of this here, but basically I took the overhang and detached it 
from the model. So uh, initially you walk on the site just as you would physically, you observe the site, but then you can uh, press a button on the controller that you have in VR, hand controller, and you can elevate the, the, this overhang up about 12, 15 feet higher. And it, because of something that I wished I could have done on site, like, wow, if I could just get this at an elevation above me, I could make out the composition, understand this panel better. So that was kind of a very cool opportunity to do that in VR, and I give you that opportunity. And, and so you were able to do that yeah, you're able to do that electronically. You can do that. You could, uh, so you, and it feels very, it doesn't feel fictional or electronic because it is based on real world models, right? And light and so forth. But anyway, to go beyond that, what I then elected to do is uh, with a press of another button, it, I could scale it down to be something that rather in real world might be 30 feet long. And I could scale it down to a miniature version that was maybe three or four feet long. And at that point, it's so small that you can hold it with uh, in front of you and like you're holding it in your hand in a sense mm -hmm. with the hand mm -hmm. controller and move it and observe it and put it right in front of your eyes for wow. close inspection. It's a delightful uh, attribute uh. to be able to do that. So that was, again, an opportunity you can only have in VR that you could not do in the real world. And I find it just absolutely stuns people to, you know, it helps their interpretation. That of it yeah so again and that's that's one of the beauties of vr i think for those people that may not be aware of what great mural rock art is in the sierra de san francisco in this amazing area you participated i think in one of our cultural tours did you not in terms of uh being on the back of a mule and having your gear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, this is, I think, right so, after one. It was a tour with Ryan Gerstner. And, um, yes. yeah, certainly. Wow. And, uh, and if yeah, anyone's. It's a great, it's a, uh, it was a, yeah. It's an epic ahead. experience. Yeah, it's really oh, an absolutely epic experience. World class. I've done it several world times, class. but, but, um, but the rock art itself is so mystical and magical in terms of its setting. I have to bring this up. Eve Ewing is a, a woman in her 80s who's been down there studying and writing articles about Great Mule Rock Art for about 50 years. She's been there probably 100 times. She had the opportunity of going into and meeting Eric Hansen and putting on the headset and taking a look yeah. at one of her favorite Hallmark sites, which was the um, major panels there at uh, the painted rock shelter and she saw it in her mind's eye so clearly and so immersively that she began to lecture us on every little detail and what we were seeing it was a magical moment please oh it was that was, i gotta say that was that was uh <laughs> by far the <laughs> the most human moment I've ever had sharing some of these experiences with someone. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we try to make uh, the, you know, this is kind of a young person's technology and to show her this tech, she took to it so rapidly and she felt because she knew this site so intimately, I think she had visited once a year for 50 years. Isn't that the Oh, statistic? yeah, something like that. Yeah. And exactly. She knew, you know, it, it was just crazy. And she once she learned how she could move about virtually, she was roaming everywhere and showing us all this detail. It was just extraordinary. And again, to be able to do this off site 
back here, you know, a thousand miles away and uh, be able to share interactively a site with others like this. And this is this is only, we're seeing what she's seeing on screen, right? But the other very interesting thing that's happening with VR because of this rise of the metaverse and so forth is all this is gonna become social. So you can easily put multiple viewers in, you know, each with a headset present in the space with each other. So as far as, I mean, basically, Alan, we could do all the rock art tours that the, the, the club does. Yeah. Yes. Virtually as well. Virtually. Right? So, um, and that's uh, just a stunning opportunity for, for cultural heritage or rock art specifically. Well, I know that Ryan and I sort of have teamed up on these cultural tours from time to time, but Ryan is uh, one of those people who uh, is a remarkable, almost genius level person that can do almost anything. And he began to uh, self-study and use drones to capture the uh, imagery in the canyons of the rock art in the Sierra de San Francisco. How does the use of drones interact or mix, interpaginate with the VR technology? How does that work? Yeah, I sure can. Uh, drones can be used for two purposes. One, they can be used for filming, which is what Ryan expertly did, which is uh, in the, the film that we just discussed. Sure. So it's fantastic to give a first person point of view of and just a description of areas through standard cinema. The other way we can do it, and I practice this a lot, is I shoot, use them to shoot 360 panoramas exactly. aerially, and I embed that within my uh, spatial experiences so we can get uh, unique 360 views. And then lastly, it can be used, obviously, as a way to augment photogrammetry, as a, a means of acquiring the context of a site. I'm still very bullish about shooting on terra firma for the photography because I can use a higher resolution camera. But certainly they, they have immense utility just to kind of dovetail that into the, the larger site so you can understand some of the terrain and context as well. So no, they're, they're an invaluable tool. And so in other, words, what, in other words, what we can do is we can, so people might understand is that you can be looking at a cave and a rock shelter and basically process and understand, conceptualize, and study the painted panels, but you can also turn around in that cave and see what the inhabitants of that cave and what the artisans saw by way of landscape completely in a real three-dimensional experience. Am I correct? Yeah. I mean, for photogrammetry, Obviously. Now, the other thing I should mention, though, too, is that there's always great utility in them to have them on site. This is if it's legitimate to fly. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be aware of, of that. But but if it's legitimate to fly, you can use it as a means to basically scout or kind of do remote inspection. So I was at Ayers Rock last year capturing it for photogrammetry. And uh, that'll be out in, this was in Australia Planet in an update this fall. No, no. Ayers Rock, uh, California, no one's about California. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. In California. And that has a kind of a large hillside with a bunch of scattered boulders and rocks. And I was very intrigued by what was in this cluster. And so I was just able to fly the drone up and, you know, basically do a visual inspection, uh, you know, without the, the effort that would take a few hours 
of uh, accessing that. So it, it is, you know, it's also used for for basic exploration too. And I'm not here to sell drones, but I will say there's a brand new model that just came out from DJI called the Mini 3, and it is uh, eminently light and compact, nothing to put it in any day pack. And it is now shooting 48 megapixel stills and just absolutely remarkable uh, performance. I can shoot a 36,000 pixel panorama with it. Um, So again, you could go and capture these panoramas and then do further inspection back home, either in a headset or just, you know, straight ahead as a flight image. So yeah, great utility for these things. And that new model is, you know, less than a thousand dollars. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty great. I was always reluctant to, to spend a lot of money on one because I just yeah. have too much uh, fear of losing it. But, yeah. but this is, makes that fear a little less um, when you have that model. So pretty incredible. So I think in this next segment, uh, the final segment, maybe we can talk about where this, this whole discipline is going and what direction you think it's taking and uh, who should be participating in and why. Absolutely. Sounds good. See you in the flip-flop, gang. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Dr. Alan Garfinkel with the Rock Art Podcast, episode 89. And we're talking about virtual reality and VR technology and how it applies to the study of rock art, but also the study of cultural heritage and using it and applying it in creative ways to enhance visitor experiences to these uh, sites remotely. And Eric Hansen of Blue Planet is one of those cutting edge artisans that are using this technology. Eric, where do you think this technology is going in the future? And what part do you play and what will be your emphasis and hyper-focus in terms of the niche that you're carving for your own uh, profession? Well, yeah, there's actually, I'd say that's answered maybe in two areas. One is the technical and one is kind of the personal maybe. And maybe I'll start with the personal and with the technical. The, the personal thing is the other project I wanted to make mention is that I'm now working with a Buddhist organization in the Bay Area. They have, this is uh, Dharma College and uh, there's actually a number of interrelated organizations up there. And they've invited me uh, earlier this year to join them in Bodh Gaya in India to document the Bodhi tree and the temple that exists as part of that called Bodh Gaya Temple. And in any case, what we're embarking to do, this is kind of an exciting thing, I think, is that we will, if you are a Buddhist, there's eight sites in India that you would frequent as a pilgrimage. So we're going to offer basically pilgrimage visitation virtually through the acquisition of these uh, sacred sites. 
and uh, let you be, whether you're, as they call it, a light Buddha, which may just want to learn more advanced meditation technique, or if you're a, a true Buddhist that would, you know, be embarking on these pilgrimages, you could potentially have an experience or maybe a, a pilgrimage experience virtually. And if you don't have the wherewithal or the health or the finances or what have you to do this during your lifetime. So it's an interesting challenge, I think. But the thing that I find most stimulating about this is it, it kind of begs the question of how deep of an experience can you create in VR? And can you represent the sacred in VR? So I just, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible challenge. And I don't know the answer. I don't have a, uh, an answer for that yet. But I, I'm certainly up for the, the investigation of that. And so, yeah, it was a, we did, I did a, you know, my most monumental capture yet of this temple. I shot 60,000 images in about two or three days of it. And all the different kind of pilgrimage functions that one would do as far as making offerings and so forth. And I'm not a religious person or a, a Buddhist by any stretch. But it was, but I've always been fascinated by that, just the artwork and kind of the the nature of, of that faith. So in any case, this, I think that, but that will be, and this is, I think, uh, you know, because rock art, coming back to rock art on this, it's a similar thing. We have a personal connection to it. We feel that there's, you know, a sense of meaning and deeper depth to what we look at. I think that's a common bond for all of us that enjoy rock art. So what that says is, what is the experience that we have? Why do we go to great lengths to visit these locations? Why do we uh, go to great lengths to try to understand them? And it's, you know, I, I think there may be some similarity with, you know, what uh, what Buddhists may be up to. So they, it's kind of like we do our own pilgrimage at these sites in a sense. Yeah. And I think that we all have a hole in our hearts that uh, is looking for a means of connecting you know, some people call it a higher power or the divine, the creator, and and is experiencing something where we connect and feel this essence of timelessness and capture maybe a taste of the supernatural. And maybe that's why a lot of these television shows that are, uh, you know, cutting edge, talking about many mysteries seem to be so captivating. Do you think there's something to that? <laughs> that depends on the show. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, and I know. I, I, I'm, oh, I'm you talking, just, uh, you're I not know. thinking about the show's proper. Yeah, okay, gotcha. No, no, yeah, but well, I mean, about why do people want to visit these extraordinary sacred right. sites in, in right. the volume no, I, that they do? Go ahead. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, that, that's kind of what I'm, I have no answer. I'm suggesting that, you know, if you, if you are, in other words, if you are going to try to recreate these experiences virtually, I think you need to yes. think about why we do it. What's the nature of it? What do we leave with? What do we gain from it by, you know, doing all the activities we do with rock art? And, and then how would you embody that in a, in a virtual experience? Now, in uh, Blue Planet, I don't answer that. I, I want it to be a personal you know, connection that, that one would make. And I, like I say, I, some of that is, is a dissemination of background information, but largely I just want people to appreciate it much like we all do uh, directly. Right. And not color that. But anyway, so that, that's, I, I think one thing that I, I think a lot about with all this is like, how do, how can we make this experience something meaningful and profound as opposed to just electronic entertainment? Exactly. And I, and I think it's, I think this is timely to talk about because 
you know, I, I was, we just had a, a, a board meeting for the California Rock Guard Foundation. And one of the things that came up in terms of a trend or the evolution of this whole profession of call it archaeology, cultural resources management, whatever, historic preservation, is there's a meeting of the minds. There's now a beginning sense that indigenous native peoples are taking a much more vigilant and active role, and it's being recognized. And by doing so, we're attempting to sort of dismantle our structure of knowing and sort of downplay this evolution of colonialism and try to embrace a more profound understanding of what it is we're looking at and experiencing and dealing with. And that has a lot of implications for the way in which we we try to preserve, protect, conserve, repair, uh, study, research, all those things, and much more. Does that make any sense to you? Absolutely. And um, the thing that I'll, another topic I lectured on today was talking about the nature of immersive media, right? So in, in other words, immersive okay. media, we all we all believe that it ha- could potentially have more power or affectation on us than, say, conventional flat cinema, right? That's the supposition yes. that one makes with, yes. uh, with immersive media in whatever form it is. You know, it, it's funny because I always, I always think about this and it's like, well, you know, if we go back to, say, the conservation of the, the national parks and uh, the Western lands in the 30s with Ansel Adams and Elliot Porter and all the great photographers, you know, they, they changed public policy simply from erecting a photo uh, display on the, in the halls of Congress. And that apparently led to a fundamental conservation law in that time. And that wow. was strictly from the power wow. of their artwork, right? So my, yeah. my point, and I'm, I'm, I'd say this to my students a lot, if we think we're so great with all this technology, then how, what have we really done with it? Like, how, what hearts and minds have we changed? And what can we show is concrete, you know, evidence that it, this was more than entertainment, right? Because this, this could be right. a powerful tool. And we all think it's very powerful. And, uh, you know, we all believe it is, but, but it really is kind of what you do with this, you know, it's the old thing of, you know, tech is only, you know, it's only meaningful for, you know, what you do, not what it is. So that that's, again, and I, I have no answer for this other than it's just, it's something it needs, I think, constant examining um, with us. So in the future, perhaps when we go to the theater, there'll be probably immersive theater centers that we can sort of involve ourselves it's, it's, in this it's, kind of technology. It's being done already. It's very strange, Alan, that you just said that, because that's a perfect lead in to my next note that I wanted to cover, which is um, another thing I'm involved with currently is the so we all know about the rise of LED displays, whether it's our flat screen TVs or, you know, obnoxious signage around town or whatever. There's been all this advancement in LED that is now uh, transferred over into immersive cinema, namely full dome. Uh, so planetarium domes used to be projected yes. with digital project projectors are now being replaced with LED panels. It's just beginning. And I'm involved with a company called Cosm, C-O-S-M, that's released that. If you're interested in this, you should really take a look. It's es.com slash domex. So domex, uh, es.com slash domex. And they have a stunning embedded video, which will show you how revolutionary this is. Anyway, I'm in the process of trying to get one of these for our use at USC. 
But the other big announcement on this is they've just announced in Variety last week that they will be putting one up in Los Angeles uh, next to SoFi Stadium, the brand new big stadium we have. And um, so here's the thing. I've already got pitches put together for them for all kinds of cultural heritage and, and uh, you know, kind of more natural history programming. Not that that necessarily is what they're putting it up for, but I'm hoping that there will be space for us to do that type of content in such a venue. But it's a it's one of the most stunning things I've seen in my lifetime, technology-wise. And it just, uh, I've been there a few times. They have a demo center in Salt Lake City. And every time mm-hmm. I go there, I say, uh, by the way, I left my jaw on the floor somewhere. Do you still have it? You know, it's just it's exactly. just a remarkable thing to see. And if you uh, go to that Web page, you'll see what I'm describing. So what is what is it like to experience to experience it? What is it? What are you seeing? Where are you and what do you, where do you look? What do you see? What do you feel? Give us a, a word picture. It's. 10 times the brightness of conventional cinema. It's so bright that it shadows you and bays you in the light of the scene. And then it uh, is 8K resolution. It fills every rod and cone in your eye. It's just stunningly immersive. I mean, it's a close, it really almost truly is the holodeck of, you know, science fiction lore. It is absolute, and it's as profound as VR, but more so because, you know, VR has resolution limitation. And also the problem with VR is it has a very narrow field of view. So it's kind of like you're looking through the world through ski goggles. And I, right. I just hate that about VR. But this is like you're present in the scene. You, you just feel amazingly transported. It is a remarkable thing. Anyway, long story short is we all in this field should be thinking about how to take advantage of this new media that's coming out. Oh, and, and there's also the Medicine Square Garden Sphere, which is opening in Las Vegas next year. And that's uh-huh. that's the world's greatest you know, screen ever devised by humanity. And that's a 300 foot diameter LED sphere. Wow. Seating 20,000 people. So so there's some pretty major things on the theatrical side that's coming. Pretty big money behind this, obviously. Big money. And I also, I hate, you know, nothing against IMAX. I've worked on several IMAX films, but um, it just, this is the next level. Uh, up from that. So that's one thing. And then one last thing, I don't know how much time we have, but you think it's going to affect us all in a huge way in all areas in our life, I'm just convinced of it, is the rise of AI. And I'm not going to go over all these, you know, myriad of ways that it will affect us, but it will affect us. Well, actually remains to be seen. It's a great discussion. So in fact, you should probably have a discussion sometime on this podcast about yeah. the implications of AI for the practice of archaeology and rock art. Um, which sure. would be a fascinating one because, you know, what, because there's veracity needed for archaeology and how could you, but the, the thing is, how could you use AI to extrapolate or kind of project or there, there's going to be some remarkable things. But anyway, most immediately, there's a new type of capture technology and it's advancing rapidly called uh, neural radiance fields. And uh, the acronym for this is <laughs> is NERF, NERF. Uh-huh. If you remember Nerf. the old NERF toys yeah. and NERF. Neural stuff. radiance fields, okay. Ner- it's uh, ner- N-E-R-F, neural radiance fields. Um, all you have to do is look it up online and look at some examples. It's basically, you can take your cell phone Whereas I have to take hundreds or maybe thousands of images with my 60 megapixel camera. This uh-huh. one, you can take your cell phone, take a dozen images, and you can almost get a better result of it. Wow. And it can be processed, you know, right there on your phone. It's a remarkable thing. 
and it, it will revolutionize data capture for archaeology. I guarantee it. Mark my words. Oh, yeah. It sounds it amazing. Just remarkable. And it captures light properties as well. So you get specularity, you get whatever, you know, like more of a volumetric sense of lighting. So it's it's really the next level, next gen thing, and it's coming really fast. It's still kind of just an early, you know, demo phase, but the tool set hasn't uh, arrived commercially, but at any day now. And it because it's using AI to kind of re, to fill in the gaps, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a sparse uh, capture. So anyway, so it's going to affect all of us that are that are doing practicing photogrammetry in a in a very profound way. How soon try, I don't know. Yeah, but, and, but, and, try, and trying to record rock art sites. <laughs> so you can imagine, Eric, it's been a it's been a joy. Absolutely that. Absolute yep. joy, and uh, I'll uh, I'll check in regularly, and I'm sure we'll be doing this again. Fantastic, my pleasure, Alan. God bless you all in uh, in rock art podcast, archaeology podcast land. See you on the flip flop, gang. Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. This is Chris Webster, founder of the APN and one of the chief editors. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. If you want to keep the conversation going and support us along the way, go to arcpodnet.com slash members. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. And thanks for listening. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.